So, we're going to be in Philemon for the next two weeks. If you want to turn there, it's just a little letter right after Titus and right before Hebrews. Only 25 verses, which is a lot to cover in two weeks at my pace, but we're going to do it. That's the plan. Anybody in my faith group is laughing because sometimes we do a verse, um, a verse a week. So, well, we'll do our best. A couple months ago on a Sunday morning, I was blessed to be able to preach a sermon entitled The Calming of the Storm. It was a text of scripture from Mark chapter 4. And it was a portion of scripture that was centrally focused on the deity of Christ. The reality that Jesus Christ, God, was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee with his followers. A great storm hit. It was strong enough to cause those on the boat to believe they were perishing. The word is to be destroyed. Death was imminent. And you may remember Jesus spoke, hush be still, and the storm was calmed. There was an instant calm. It was the word muzzled. And what happened when this great storm hit and the great calm hit was there was a great fear for those on the boat. They recognized they were with God. And then the scripture says there was great fear that came upon them. It was the fear of reverence and awe to say that God had spoken and stopped a storm. And we walked away that Sunday praying that we would see Jesus the same way. That we would come to his living word and it would impact us in such a way that we would stand in awe and reverence of him and live our life in that manner. So today and next Sunday when we come to Philemon, we are going to look at a short letter that describes three men who came face to face with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we're going to look at the transforming power of Christ, the grace of Christ seen in the lives of these Three men. They aren't the three men on the boat. They didn't see him face to face in that way, but they are born again men. One is Paul, the former persecutor of Christians. One is Philemon, a successful businessman. And one is Onesimus, a runaway slave. And so we will look at them and we will ask the Lord to teach us about the transforming power of salvation in the lives of these men. It's only 25 verses, so short, but there's so much here. Our outline for the next two weeks will be exactly the same. The greeting, we'll look at that when we start this morning. We'll look at the character of Philemon. We'll look at Paul telling us about Philemon. Because if we're looking at the transforming power of Christ, we want to see what one man says about another man's life. And then we'll look at the plea for Philemon, for Onesimus to Philemon, the plea for Onesimus. And then we'll look at the ending words. It's a greeting and a benediction. So... Paul is the first man I will mention. Um, He, it says in Acts 22.3, he said about himself, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, all of you, as all of you know this day. So Paul was a zealous Jewish man with the greatest instruction in Jewish Law and understanding, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was also a persecutor of the church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. And while still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was saved on the road to Damascus. A murderer saved 
and now a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For certain, he wrote 13 books in the Bible that you hold in your hand. And then Philemon, the second man in our look these next two weeks. He was a first century businessman, a slave owner, who later hosted a church in his home, most likely in Colossae. His name means affectionate in the Greek. From all Paul wrote about him, we would say that name is true. He was led to faith by Paul on one of his visits to Asia Minor. It appears that Paul was welcome when we get to the end, you'll see, to stay in his home whenever he came through that land. But he was just a businessman. The Scripture doesn't tell us any more about him than what we learn in this letter. He doesn't exist anywhere else in the Scriptures. A businessman who owns slaves. And then Onesimus is the third man whose life was transformed, and he was a slave of Philemon, and he became a fugitive. He became a runaway slave. He stole from him to get enough money to flee. We'll see that towards the end of the the letter. Enough money to flee, and he fled, and he went to Rome, a great city where you could easily hide. And providentially, he meets Paul, the apostle serving time in prison, and he's born again. So we have a zealous religious leader, a persecutor of Christians, a murderer, a great preacher of Christ after his conversion. We have a wealthy businessman who owns slaves, who was converted to Christ. And we have a runaway slave who was a criminal, ran off stealing from his owner. As different as they are, they have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. That's where their unity is. If you look around this morning, it's absolutely true in this room. Raised in different places, in different ways, by different people, with different likes and dislikes and career fields and interests. And yet we have in common this unity in Christ. If you look at Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, it should give you hope where maybe you're lacking hope. For those loved ones, those friends that you look and you go, it will be impossible to see them saved. No, it's not impossible. We have three men in this story who if you looked at from a distance, you would say, no. Just like that son or grandson or cousin or brother or co-worker that you look at and you think, no. The Word of God says, yes, three transformed lives. Isn't it interesting how unified they are in Christ? We live in a day that maybe is as divided as it's ever been where we live in this country. Maybe not. I've only got 61 years to compare it to, but... It does seem rather divided on politics and race and religion and sanctity of life and gender and gender and sports and the alphabet soup of lifestyles. We're not divided. There's no division here. We're unified in Christ. Do you know what that means? That means out there where there's great division, you have great hope. When the conversation happens and you are avoiding all of those minefields because you're only interested in one topic, Christ. Right? So once you get those topics out of the way, and you can say, boy, all that division, all that upset that you have in your soul, there's one place that doesn't exist. We just sang about it. There can be crisis and storm. There's peace in the way of the Savior. There's unity in Christ. We're the only folks on the planet that have the answer to the division today. Paul and Philemon and Onesimus were not divided. They were unified. Why? Galatians 3.28. There is neither 
Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no longer male or female, you are all one in Christ. As we see in this study, Paul is going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Onesimus was his slave and he stole from him and ran away and Paul's going to say forgive him. That would not have been normal in this day. As we study the letter, we'll ask ourselves all kinds of questions. Yours may be different than mine, but as I read through this, I asked myself, do I have Christian relationships as loving as this? I asked myself, is my walk of faith something others might hear about? Because that happens here. Paul hears about Philemon's love for Christ. So I, I, I wondered if somebody goes, oh yeah, I know Joe. Yeah, me too. Would it ever come up that Joe's a Christian? Would that ever be part of the conversation? It was here. Are others refreshed by my walk of faith? That happens here. Would I be able to appeal on behalf of one who's done wrong that he might be forgiven because it's the right thing to do? Would I be able to do the right thing and forgive when it's hard? Maybe the greatest and most difficult practical lesson in Philemon is the practice of forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. John MacArthur says, Of all the human qualities that make men in any sense like God, none is more divine than forgiveness. God is a God of forgiveness. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four: I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Charles Spurgeon said, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it, but yet there is one thing sweeter, and that is to forgive. He says, when you're forgiven, boy, the taste of honey is secondary. But when you forgive, it's even sweeter than that. The overarching focus of our study, the kind of overarching thought for the next two weeks will just to be keep coming back and saying, Lord, look how you transformed the lives of these men. But then under that will be, because we don't want to leave Dr. John Kyle out of our, our, our midst, under that will be, what about you? Right? We'll be saying, well, look at their lives transformed, and then we'll be asking ourselves, what about me? Right? Let's give God all the glory for the lives of these men, and then ask ourselves, Am I living out this faith? All right, let it, let it be real to us. So let's begin with Paul's greeting, verses 1 through 3. Does Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow, soldier, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is with Timothy, his spiritual son. They are together. Paul is writing a letter uh, to Philemon, and he addresses himself as a prisoner of Christ. So easy, right, to skip right over. How many times have you read prisoner of Christ? You just keep reading. But if you pause for a minute, you'll note that what he doesn't do, he doesn't focus his bitterness on the authority that placed him in custody. He doesn't pause and get sidetracked by the dislike for the authority that placed him in custody. He goes right past that and he says, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm, I'm bound to Christ that I might still preach the gospel and teach sanctification with a focus on pardoning wrongs or forgiveness. 
good. It's easy to get distracted and think that somehow we're a prisoner of what's occurring. But no, we're, we're, we're bound to Christ. And then he says, Philemon, beloved brother and fellow worker. This word beloved connected to brother is an interesting word. By definition, it's first. There's an order here. It's first. By definition, beloved by God. By definition, divinely loved by God. By definition, personally experiencing God's love and the love of one another. See, when we read it, we think, my beloved brother, and we immediately connect myself, right? Paul to Philemon, and that's in the definition. But the broader and more important definition is, beloved Philemon, you're beloved of God and my brother. You're beloved of God and my brother. That's what he's saying. How sweet is that? They're of the same family. Paul's brother in the same family, both divinely loved by God and his fellow worker. Is it not wonderful to be part of a church family where as you become more and more part, you you have beloved brothers and sisters. You go, that person's divinely loved by the Lord and I love them too. Do you find that most often when that's true, this other phrase, fellow worker, is connected to it? Think about that just for a second. Do you notice that fellow worker is often connected to beloved brother? It's the biblical pattern that we work alongside each other for the glory of God. It's the biblical pattern. Do you have brothers and sisters in faith that you know to be fellow workers, the ones you work alongside? When Jesus said, hush, and the storm stopped, and you stand in awe, you know they stand in awe, and they think like you. Lord, how might I serve you? How might I be in partnership with the other saints? Because they're beloved and we're fellow workers. What's it look like at Faith Community Church? What's beloved brothers, fellow workers look like here? Uh, do you remember walking into the castle two weeks ago? you know how many moving parts happen for Vacation Bible School? Do you know how many moving parts for that to happen so children could hear the name of the Lord? It happened because beloved fellow Christians and fellow workers in Christ were together with that as a goal. It ended on a Friday. Do you know what happened on Saturday? Beloved sisters gathered and provided a feast alongside each other, fellow workers for men's breakfast. And then beloved brothers played music and led in worship. And then a beloved brother, Jared, taught the message. Beloved brothers, fellow workers. Guess what happened on Tuesday that week? Senior saints. Beloved workers came together and made food, and then there was fellowship, and then there was... Do you know there's a heartbeat to the life of the church? If what I'm saying doesn't make sense to you, it's because you're not connected to it. And I can guarantee you, your joy will be much greater if you are. And it might not just be... You may say, I none of those things are on my agenda, but prayer sure could be. Right? There's a lot to the heartbeat of the church. There's prayer and ministry and inreach and outreach and missions. If Philemon was on the sidelines, this letter would be written different. If Philemon was a Sunday-only Christian, they came on Sunday, they received, but that was pretty much it. This letter would start maybe like this. Philemon, fellow believer. And when we get down to where Paul says, I'm not ordering you to do this, it might have said, Philemon, my fellow believer, I'm ordering you to do this. 
But see, they were on the field together. They were fellow servers. I would pray that you would find great joy and engagement in this Christian walk. We could ask ourselves, does my transformed life produce an active faith? Secondly, he says in the second verse, he's writing to what's believed to be Philemon's family, his wife and his son. His son, the fellow soldier in Christ, indicating service to the Lord. How encouraging is it when your children walk in faith? That's happening in this family. What a faithful wife to host a church in her home. Week after week, folks like you all come trudging in to receive the message and then go trudging out. It's the last time you had people in your home, all that you did for that. That's his wife. One note of interest when Paul is writing to this family unit, he's writing about a private matter. Their slave ran away. It was their slave. They owned him. And he ran away. But Paul adds, and to the church. So he's writing a letter to a family about a private family incident, but somehow it clearly impacted everyone else, likely because in their small unit they were together all of the time. And he says, and to the church, so all would learn the lesson that he's going to teach us here. So it's a private family matter to the whole church that we might all have the privilege of learning. And then Paul gives his characteristic greeting, grace and peace. He's praying all of God's undeserved favor be showered upon Philemon, his wife, his son, and the church. And then he says, peace. Common for Paul, grace and peace. Peace is a word that means spiritual serenity. It means calm. It means untroubled. I wrote one, I read one pastor who wrote this. Peace is calm in the midst of any storm. I love that definition. If you've been in the midst of one of life's storms and somehow you had a peace, you know that definition. I can remember in law enforcement being at work, sirens and screaming and running. And there were times I just had a, everything was slow. And I'm like, afterwards, I said, Lord, you gave me a peace in that chaos. I know in our home, with life's challenges at times, there was such a peace in the midst of what would be a storm. Do you know that word, grace and peace together? God laying upon, undeserved, unmerited favor upon you in the midst of chaos. And you're like, I'm okay. How can I be okay? Grace and peace. So if we look at Paul's greetings, we could ask ourselves, am I a prisoner of Christ or am I in bondage to life's circumstances? Are life's circumstances driving my attitude and my joy or lack of it or am I bound to Christ? I'd ask ourselves, am I a beloved brother and fellow worker or am I on the sidelines? And it's interesting, that isn't even a challenging question. You know exactly the answer. Do we pray grace and peace for our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ? Paul's greeting. Paul's character description of Philemon begins in verse 4. Let me read 4 to 7 for you. As I do, notice that Philemon is thankful in verse 4. I'm sorry, Paul is thankful in verse 4 for Philemon. He's prayerful for him in verse 6. And he's joyful because of him in verse 7. So thankful, prayerful, and joyful, uh, verses 4 through 7. 
I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in yours, which is for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So, Paul begins very clearly, when I think about you, Philemon, I pray. And when I pray, I thank God for you. That's a good, that's a good practice. When I think of you, I pray. And when I pray, I thank God for you. Good practice. We have this great thing on our phone called a church directory. It's great. Have you ever, this, this week after Senior Saints, I drove to Tower, rode my bike to the beach, I sat on a bench all by myself, and I started at the top. I just worked my way through the church directory. Have you ever done that? Because when you go through the directory, <coughs> some people you'll know about their lives, and you'll pray very specifically for them. Other people you won't know at all. You won't know what's going on in their life, but what can you pray? Paul taught us grace and peace. Lord, would you, you lay your grace and peace upon this person, this couple, this family? Great tool. Um, I would encourage, if you don't have it written down, that everyone put in whatever your calendar app is, pray for Myanmar and pray multiple, pray throughout the day as it comes to your mind. Be like Paul. When I think about you, I pray and I thank God for you. If you're able, if you're able, I would say, over the next two weeks now, they've been there a week, Pray prayer with fasting. Put it on your calendars. I'm going to fast the portion of this day or this whole day or these days on behalf of our missionaries in Myanmar, those who live there full time and those who are there now, Pastor John and Tiffany and Bill and Karen who are in transit. Right? Let's pray. Paul said, man, when I think of you, Philemon, I pray. Let's spend the next couple of weeks seriously praying sanctification and salvation. Right? Safety. Last night, an hour before John was going to preach, so eight or nine o'clock our time last night, they're 13 and five, 13 and a half ahead. A text came out, John's stomach was upset. Please pray. You ever been to that part of the world or any part of the world where when you get the stomach upset, you're like, uh oh? Uh, I remember one time opening my mouth in the shower in Rwanda. Why, you know, it's one of those things you just, you shower with your mouth shut in Rwanda. And I didn't, and about 2.5 hours later, I heard the lar- largest gurgle, and I knew what was going on. So that was, we got that prayer request. This morning when I talked to John, he said, within an hour before the, he started preaching, he felt great. And he felt great this, more, or this morning, his tonight. They should be sleeping right now. He said, I believe it's because of the prayer of the brothers and sisters praying for me. So it's so easy to read a letter from Paul and go, grace and peace, I think of you, I pray for you, and we just keep walking. Don't. Ask yourself, look to your right and left. Look at these folks. Do I think of them and pray for them? Then, verse 5 tells us why he's thankful for Philemon. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. This word, I hear, is actually in a plural. It's, I'm hearing which means Paul has heard more than once. So in addition to knowing Philemon, leading him to Christ, he's receiving reports, more than one, 
of the faithfulness of Philemon. It's not, yeah, I know this guy Philemon, and once he was kind to some people. No, this is just a way of life for Philemon. Do you imagine the joy for Paul when someone visits him in prison, and he asks, how's things in Colossae? And, and they say, great. Hey, you know that guy Philemon, that businessman? That one? Yeah. Uh, he loves the Lord, and he loves the saints. Would that be encouraging to hear if you were Paul? Specifically, that man, love towards the Lord Jesus Christ and all the saints. That little phrase, you have, where it says, uh, because I hear of your love of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that also gives us a little indication because it's in the present tense, meaning it's a continuous repeated action. This is just a way of life for Philemon. Like This is just who he is. It's a way of life. He loves the saints because he loves the Lord. The word love here is a love of choice. You know this word. It's a love of the will. It's a love of self-sacrifice. It's a love of humility. It's a love that says, I put you before myself. It's a love that says, I would make any sacrifice to meet your need. It's a love that says, my emotions don't even have to be connected to it. Sometimes they are, sometimes not at all. But as an act of obedience, I'll do what I'm called to do. I'm not compelled to serve you because there's something that is attractive about you. I'm compelled to serve you because there's something about the power of God moving me in obedience to serve you. That's the love here. And Paul hears about Philemon, that he's a man of faith, that he's a man who loves the Savior and his saints, and his love for the saints is a choice. It's something he chooses to do. Not because of emotion. You ever been asked to serve someone you dislike as a Christian? And you're like, I don't even like that person. But you know it's the right thing to do, and you step out and you do it? That is fantastic. Right? Because the scripture says, even the enemies of God do kind one to another. This love described here, the love for God and love for all the saints, there's no way. Philemon liked them all, but he loved them, which meant he was a man of action towards them. That's our call. Paul's thoughts on all the saints continues in the sixth verse as he speaks to this idea of mutual participation in faith. So he thanks God for him in verse 4. Then he says, this is why I thank the Lord for you, because as you love Christ, that love is impacting all the saints. And then he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So Philemon, you're a man of faith who loves fellow Christians in the circle of Christians and humans you are with. I pray that your fellowship, your communion in that faith would be effective. So he's acknowledging he's not alone. He's in the faith with other people. And he says, I pray that that ministry will be effective. It's a word that means to be energized, full of energy. So Philemon in fellowship, partnering in faith, Paul's praying that his acts of kindness, his ministry to others would be such that would be productive for the glory of God, even to the point he's going to ask him to forgive a runaway slave. Can you imagine Paul prays this fellowship would be effective, that it wouldn't be stagnating. It wouldn't lose energy. And then he says, this is how. 
It happens because of your knowledge. The Greek word isn't a casual knowledge, but a deep knowledge, a rich knowledge, a full knowledge, and experiential knowledge. So he says, your fellowship, your faith, I want it to be effective, and it will be effective because of your knowledge, your deep knowledge in what is good. And the only place we find good is in the truth of the Word of God. And so he says, I want you to apply it, see it, experience it, and then it will grow. It will become a way of life for you, Philemon. Philemon is a Christian who has lived in Christ, and the knowledge of his Savior is growing by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says, for I have come, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing. Where does every good thing get found? If it gets found in Christ. Note that he asked this for Christ's sake. The Christian life with all of its deeds and all of its joys and all of its works and all of its responsibilities is for the glory of Christ. It is for Christ's sake. It's for Christ's name. It's for Christ's praise. It's for Christ's glory. And so he says, I thank the Lord for you. I hear about what you're doing. I pray it continues all for the sake of Christ. The transforming power, the change in the life of Philemon is for the glory of Christ. That's our call that we would live lives that would bring him glory. Alistair Begg paraphrases verse 6 this way, I am praying that the mutual participation which is proper, he says mutual participation in faith is proper. It's what We're all supposed to be involved in this. He says it's proper. Which is proper to the Christian faith you may hold, you may hold, may have in its full effect a realization of every good thing God wants to accomplish in us to lead us into the fullness of the fellowship of Christ. He says, you want fellowship? You want full fellowship in Christ? Be fully engaged in the walk of faith. Right? There's not secular and saint. He's saying, you're always saint. In every moment of every day, in every place, in every circumstance, you are a follower of Christ. You know, I, it's funny. I'm so prone to rabbit trails. So I just look over and I see this brother, friend of mine in the Lord, who one day calls me from his office, from my office to his office. He's a department head. His name's George. And I'm like, hey, I wonder what he wants to talk about. I wonder what I goofed up because he's the head of public works and I'm just a police chief, so I can goof things up. And I get there and he wants to talk about faith. He wants to talk about where are you going to church? This is where where we used to live. I went, And so we're having this conversation about what we have most in common. It was the best part of my day, probably the best part of that year. Why? Because he went to work thinking, how do do I walk my faith in a place where it's not easy to walk your faith? And Paul says, this is who we are. This is who you are, Philemon. Alistair Begg says mutual participation is proper. It's the way it is. So if you're a man, it's easy to define. Um, and you're at church today, Sunday, Sunday, here we are. Do you know on Thursday morning, there's a 6 a.m. men's faith group that Kevin Shea teaches? So we meet on Sunday, and we have fellowship, we encourage each other. And then, Lord willing, you're, you're in a faith group somewhere one night of the week, or Tuesday morning at 10. Well, then on Thursday at 6 a.m., there's a men's group. 
I would say this, if all you're doing is sleeping, meaning if you're not on your way to work, preparing for work, making breakfast for your wife, all the things you like to do on a morning, if you're not doing any of those things, you're only sleeping, get up and come to Bible study. Why not? See, this thing, mutual participation, was proper for the Christian faith that you hold, why wouldn't we? Right? It, it becomes the heartbeat of your life. You're here in fellowship. You're in faith group in fellowship. You're around the table in fellowship. You can't help but thinking like George thought when he invited me to his office. You can't help it. It just becomes a way of life. This, Paul is saying this transformed business owner, this is a way of life for him. He says in verse 7, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He says, I found joy and comfort. He's in prison and he's finding joy and comfort because of this transformed man's life. Can you imagine? He says, they're being refreshed. Paul calls for a refreshment in verse 20 for himself from this man. Refreshment is to give rest and intermission from labor. Somebody's life is full of labor and the Christian steps in and they give him a place of rest. A place of rest. How good is it to provide refreshment to a man in prison? I've been blessed. I was part of something called the Soledad Summit. A friend of mine did 41 years in prison for murder. And some Christians, we would go down to Soledad on a fairly regular basis. And we'd sit around the table all day long speaking about Christ. And it was called the Soledad Summit. Sweet men. This Friday, just because I was going to be thinking about these type of things today, I'm sure the Lord allowed me to be sitting in a coffee shop, and there was a young man I haven't seen for years, not part of the Soledad Summit, that this man had been in a church I was pastoring, and he went to federal prison, and I was privileged to visit him in federal prison. And he turned around, and he saw me, and we had this joyous, refreshing reunion. And he was able to introduce me to his now wife, They're in church together, walking in faith. And his wife said, oh, we talked about you yesterday. Is that refreshing? So I was able to go and bring refreshment into the prisons for these men. And then whenever I see them or hear from them outside of prison, what do I get? The blessing of refreshment. I guess my point is um, get involved in the faith. Walk the faith. Walk what you believe. Since we're talking about murder and prison and grace, I was having lunch with my wife (laughs) at a local restaurant with three men, and um, they were coming through town, and so we invited them to this place we like to eat, and we know the restaurant owner, and she came over and said hello, and she always loves if we bring friends in from out of town to enjoy her cooking, and she walked away, and I thought, how sweet. My wife, Catherine, and three guys who've been convicted of murder served time in prison who are now out walking in faith. Their lives were transformed. If you met them, all they want to talk about is Jesus. It's the strangest thing. I want to know what was it like to turn a handle of a door for the first time? What was it like to ride in a car? What was it like to have a cell phone? And they're just, psh, 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 let's talk about Christ. They're not even interested in the things of this world. Isn't that interesting? So we would probably all agree that a visit inside the prison would bring refreshment. Paul is saying, I'm refreshed just by the fact that I hear of your testimony. 
Oh, would it not be something to be so in awe of Christ in the way we live that we provide followers of Jesus refreshment and intermission from the labors of life? Wouldn't that be good? Somebody's in the labor of life, and because we're so in awe of Jesus, we can provide refreshment. After Annie died, we were not resting. We were a week or so in. We were a bit in turmoil, and there was a knock at the door, and there was a woman suffering from cancer, weak, in pain, came to minister to us, brought a lantern with a candle in it, which sits today on the table next to Katie's picture and Annie who passed before her, right? An an example of the fact that it's the light of Christ that we follow. He lights our steps. He lit the steps of my girls and still do today, and Rachel exampled that to us. She came in that time of suffering and provided us refreshment. Isn't it good to be part of the beloved fellow workers of Christ, to have those moments? Paul notes, uh, this is who Philemon was. Imagine if the letter came on a scroll, and he got the letter and he's pulling the scroll down. Imagine, he's thinking it's going pretty well right now. I like this. Paul is impressed with me. And then there's that word, therefore. Everything kind of pauses. Therefore means based on everything I've just said. You're my beloved brother and my fellow worker. Uh, Your family is known to me and seen as fellow soldiers in Christ. I thank God for you. I pray for you. I hear reports of your love for the saints and for the Lord. I'm comforted by these reports. I'm refreshed. Therefore... He says, verse 8, Therefore I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul gets to this place and he says, I have enough confidence in Christ, not myself, but in Christ and my role as an apostolic authority to order you to do what is right. J.B. Lightfoot writes, My office gives me the authority to dictate your duty, but love bids me to be as a suitor. Paul's tone is not the tone of demand, but it is a tone of appeal. He appeals in verse 9 from the position of love, in verse uh, 12 from the heart, and verse 13 from selflessness. By the way, this is a good study on how we should interact with other humans. See, Paul had the authority to say, do this, but he appeals in love. Since we all have to interact with other humans, this is a good good study on how we should be. It isn't our tone, it isn't our volume, it isn't our word choice, and we're trying to get somebody to understand it. Paul does an appeal in love. The work is done by the Lord So what do we know about Paul's view of love and Philemon's view of love? Well, Paul says he loves Philemon. He mentions Philemon's a man of love in verses 5 through 7. We know Paul was taught by Christ, and Paul taught Philemon. We know Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is my commandment also that you love one another. So Paul's not teaching doctrine here. He's teaching something that Philemon already knows. He appeals to Philemon, or he appeals to Philemon on Onesimus' behalf, from the position of love. And then he gives the present reality. I'm an aged man. The word aged here is the same word as ambassador. It's as if Paul is saying, 
remember who you are and who I am. I come to you as an ambassador for Christ, writing from prison, hear my request. I'm an aged man closing in on the end of my life, writing you from prison, hear my request. He's not trying to leverage him or manipulate him. He's talking because they have fellowship. He can appeal and ask him to do something hard because they have fellowship. They're partners in the walk of faith. I've shared this before, but not too long ago, I was in the wrong position in my mind about somebody who had offended me and I had written them off. Now, because Troy Swagger is my partner in faith, right? He comes here, he's a beloved brother. He could look at me and say, you can't do that. And I, then I explained to him my justification for why I was going to write off this person. He's like, uh, you can't do that. And then he put it in the, in the context of my faith, and he goes, you happen to be an elder in the church, and you should... And so he laid me out, which he could because we have fellowship. Right? He's a beloved brother, fellow worker in Christ. If he was a stranger, he probably wouldn't have said anything. If he was on the sidelines of his faith, we, I would have, he would have said, how are your siblings? I go, I don't know, I don't talk to them anymore. Oh, no kidding, they're like that, huh? And we would have walked out. But he didn't. Just like Paul didn't. He wrote to Philemon because they had partnership and fellowship. So, he's listening to the words of the scroll. Philemon is saying, okay, um, I'm, I'm hearing verses 8 and 9. I'm hearing this part of the letter. And I'm thinking to myself, I am to do what? And what is proper? And what's for love's sake? And then he must think, of course, if Paul's asking me to do something proper for love's sake, of course I will do that. What is it? Verse 10, I appeal for you, for my child, Onesimus. Can you imagine? He gets to that point of the skull and he says, Onesimus? Onesimus? That runaway thief rat? Him? He's your what? He's your child whom I begotten in my imprisonment? Okay, we'll stop there and see what happens next next week. Um, It's interesting. Uh, Let me just uh, close with a couple thoughts, and we'll go to fellowship together. First, now let me just close with one thought. I'm going to save the other one for next week. Who do you think handed this letter to Philemon? Knock at the door. You open the door, and who do you think handed him that letter? very possible it was Onesimus, according to Colossians chapter 4. Okay, that would have been a point, but we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) We close with this thought. These three men, Philemon, Paul, Onesimus, their lives have been transformed, not by self-help. They didn't do a Weight Watchers or New Gym membership. They didn't read the great philosophers or the Stoics. They were converted by Christ. Did you notice his name is all over this letter? Verse 3, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Lord Jesus. Verse 6, for Christ's sake. Verse 8, confidence in Christ. Verse 9, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So as we close with prayer, I would just say this. For you and for me this morning, who proclaim our lives have been transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. And most of you would say that. My life has been transformed by Christ. If you can't say that, I would encourage you to pray Dear God in heaven, would you save me by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, him alone? And look at somebody to your right or left and say, can you explain more about this gospel to me? I want to be someone who could forgive someone who hurts me deeply.
But for you who is here today, who proclaims this, I have been transformed by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. May our walk of faith be a proclamation to that truth this week. Might our proclamation be our walk. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your living word. We thank you for this little letter. There's just so much to learn, Lord. We're just scratching the tip of the iceberg on the reality of this relationship between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. We pray that you would apply to our lives that which is most important and that we would walk away with our eyes heavenward saying, to God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.